Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Do you have a Bible today? We're going to the book of Acts, and we'll spend all of our time in the book of Acts today, and we'll begin in chapter 4 in just a minute or two. Acts chapter 4 will be our beginning place. And while you're opening your Bible and getting settled, we, are, we welcome all of you. Thanks so much for being here on this Wednesday mornings. Many of you have been here every single morning, uh, and we appreciate the fact that you've made that, made that time, carved out that niche to be with us and to study with us in the mornings. Enjoyed that very, very much. It's been so good to make acquaintance with some of you for the very first time. Most of you I've known from our times previous together, but to be with all of you, to renew acquaintance, and to make acquaintance with some of you has just been a, a real pleasure this week. And I said on Monday, and I reiterate now, that I like, I like the classes that we can have in the morning, the time to be together. I've always enjoyed these in gospel meetings, although they're rare anymore. Very seldom do you have these any longer. In fact, this congregation and one other where I go in gospel meetings, only two where, <clears throat> where we have these anymore. And so I always enjoy that very, very much. In the morning sessions this week, we've been talking about profiles and good deeds, profiles and good works. And you know, if you've been with us, that on Monday we talked about James, the brother of Jesus. And then <clears throat> we talked yesterday out of the book of Philemon, about Paul and Philemon and Onesimus and the important lessons that, that are there. And today, I want to talk about someone who is more obvious when you would, <clears throat> would think about this. And you can see from the title on the screen that we're going to talk a little bit about Barnabas. If you were here Monday, I, <clears throat> I mentioned that uh, last Sunday at home, I preached a version of this lesson, and we have a handout that we do in our family report, our bulletin. And I, I told you then that one of the ladies came up to me and said, you know, I misread the title. I thought it said there needs to be a little Barabbas in all of us. And uh, she said, I was really kind of excited to hear what you were going to say about that. And I, I've, I've thought about that. I have no clue what I would say about that. I, I've always thought, you know, I could take most any challenge, but uh, that may be one that, uh, that I'm going to have to pass on. But there does need to be a little Barnabas in, in all of us. You know, if you were to ask most any Christian, who is the, who's the best encourager in the New Testament? Without doubt, most, if not all, are immediately going to say, well, well of course, that would be... That would be Barnabas, and really with, with good reason, because the fact of the matter is that his name means son of encouragement. And so how would you like, how would you like to have a name given you, not by your mom and dad, not by the kids at school, but a nickname given you, reflective of your character, and given to you by the very apostles of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That they could look at you and see a trait that is so good and so strong that they would just say, this is how you ought to be identified for the remainder of your life. How impressive that would be. You know, it's interesting, though, about Barnabas. To our knowledge, I mean, he wrote no scripture. He recorded no sermons. That he, we have no recorded sermons that he preached. And even when you think of his missionary work, it's always Paul and Barnabas. It is never, <clears throat> it's never Barnabas and Paul. He, he always has, as it were, second billing. And he seems okay with that. But every time that he, he surfaces in scripture, he does so as an encourager. He fought for those uh, for whom nobody else would fight. He spotted potential stars for the Lord and tried to, tried to give them, them wings. And, and even when they surpassed him in some way, it seems that he was okay with that. He rejoiced with them in that. His passion, it seems, was to find people who, who needed a boost in some way. And he would, he would provide that for them. William Barclay called him <clears throat> the man, <clears throat> excuse me, the man with the biggest heart in the church. I like that. The man with the biggest heart in the church. What a wonderful role model Barnabas is. That we love him. 
Why do we love him so much? Well, because he was an encourager. But I will tell you there's another reason for that, I think. And, and maybe it's because if you've lived very long, if you have any miles on the odometer of your life like I do, we've seen individuals who were the opposite of Barnabas. We've seen individuals who were the complainers or the critics who have harmed the spirit of the church or maybe have discouraged young preachers to the point that they, that they just give up or people who weary, who just weary the heart of those who are trying their best to serve God in whatever way that they can. And maybe it's because of that that we love so much the Barnabas who are among us all the more. What I'd like to do this morning is very, very simple. In this final lesson, what I'd like to do it just show you a number of ways that Barnabas practiced his name. The times that he pops up in Scripture in the book of Acts, and he, and he is simply fulfilling the biblical admit, uh, admonition to encourage one another and build up one another. And so Barnabas bubbles to the surface three, four times in the book of Acts. And let's look at those very quickly this morning, and then <clears throat> the lesson will be yours. Here we go. Number one. Barnabas encouraged Christians with genuine needs. He encouraged Christians with genuine needs. So if you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 4, if you don't, take a look at the screen and we'll look at the verses here. Joseph, who is also surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. He had land. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so the first time that we are introduced to him is... On this occasion, when he's going to encourage Christians with real, legitimate, authentic needs that needed to be met. Now, you're a good Bible student, so you know the story. You know what's going on in Acts 4. The fact of the matter is that the needs that were there were legitimate and real. Several reasons for that. You know, of course, that in in Acts 4, we are in the very early, infant days of the church. The church is just standing on its own two feet, just learning to walk a little bit. And the Christians, of course, in those early days faced very serious economic issues for a variety of reasons. Multiple reasons played into that. Many, no doubt, many of those Christians, no doubt, lost their jobs, were fired by their Jewish employers when those Jewish employers learned that they had defected from Judaism. And perhaps Christian businessmen were were, uh, losing customers as, again, it became known that they had accepted Jesus as Messiah. And perhaps then were no doubt, their customers were no doubt told by the rabbis not to associate and do, do business with them because of their, their convictions. By the way, let me just say a word about that. I don't think that's only going to be first century phenomenon. I think it is going to become, there are going to be circumstances, we need to be honest, in uh, the 21st century where Christians are going to have difficulty in business, just trying to mind their business and do their own jobs <clears throat> because, of our, because of our culture. Uh, I was in a congregation this fall in a, <clears throat> in, in a special effort they were having, and in that particular congregation, they have multiple members who are involved in corporate America, and, and they will all tell you that they dislike with a passion, they dread the month of June, because June in America has become Pride Month, and so for them... There's a challenge every June. They are pressured to wear the lanyard that has the, the rainbow imagery on it, to go to gatherings that celebrate, celebrate pride in, in, uh, in, that, in that gay and lesbian community. And the pressure, they will tell you, is becoming more and more and more with every passing year. 
Well, you can imagine that some of that happened here is Christian businessmen no doubt lost their business because of their faith. And then beyond that, there were thousands of pilgrims who had, who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and now they were converted. And, of course, we know that they were staying. They were staying in Jerusalem to receive instruction from the apostles before they, before they dispersed everywhere. And then finally there was that issue of the widows. You know, the Jews had a system in place where they, <clears throat> the rabbis would enroll the widows and make sure that they were taken care of. But, of course, when they defected from Judaism, they would be unenrolled, as it were. And so now we know from Acts chapter 6 that there was a crisis along that line. You put all of that together. When you allow all of that to coalesce, you have serious economic problems. And no doubt, no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, the devil, our adversary, the devil, was using that as a means of discouraging these new baby Christians. But the devil lost in that. He lost that battle. Because these Christians, these Christians responded with a very radical attitude toward their situation. And the attitude was that they, they made it clear that they, they valued their new community of believers. And they valued their faith more than they valued their possessions. And so in the verses that we read a moment ago, from time to time it would seem they voluntarily would sell possessions that they had and bring it to the apostles and leave it to them to disperse as individuals had need. It's in that context, of course, that we meet Barnabas, this son of encouragement, who had land, sold it, brought it to the apostles so that it could be a benefit and use to those who had needs. And here's the point of that. The point of that is that encouragement is not just cliches. Encouragement is not just clever sayings that you embroider on something. Encouragement is not likes on Facebook. Encouragement is meeting someone at their point of need and doing or saying something that is necessary. Now, sometimes that may be as it was in Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> it may be a financial need. It certainly was here. But it may be other kinds of needs. Maybe it's some other physical need that needs to be met, or maybe it's an emotional need or relational need, or maybe it's helping somebody find some employment to help themselves with their financial need. Because again, after all, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Maybe it's just being a friend and standing by somebody's side. You know, you think about this passage in James chapter 2, where James said, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warned and feel, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, then what, what have you profited them? You know, if you're not comfortable this morning with naked and destitute daily food, then substitute something else there. Substitute, put something else in there that an individual might, might have as a need. And listen to James say, look, when you know somebody, you have this relationship with somebody, and they have a need that you can, you can help with, and you just say, well, you know, I'm praying for you. I hope it all works out well. James said, no, we need to do a little more than that. One little disclaimer here, if I may. I certainly realize that <clears throat> not, not every need has your name on it. That would be impossible. But it's also impossible to believe that no need has your name on it. We all have responsibilities to open our eyes, to do what we can, to try to be of help to others. And so Barnabas... Barnabas encouraged Christians with genuine needs. Secondly, Barnabas encouraged new converts with bad histories. And you know that story, of course. You know that we're going to Acts, the ninth division of the book of Acts. Because here's a famous story. Here's the famous story of the conversion of, of Saul of Tarsus, soon to be known as the Apostle Paul. 
And so here's this, <clears throat> this story. We're not going to take the time to read that story, recap that story. You know that story, being the good Bible student you are. But here is Saul of Tarsus, and Saul accepts Jesus Christ. The problem was getting Christians to accept Saul. Have you ever thought about this? There's a statement in Acts 9, the beginning in verse 26, that reads this. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And so Saul may not have understood a lot about being a Christian at this point in time, but he, <clears throat> he did understand that he, he needed the fellowship of other Christians. He at least understood that much. And yet these Christians, they want nothing to do with this. They, they are afraid. They are afraid of him. I want to ask you two questions along that line. The first is, can you understand how the brethren felt? Can you understand how the brethren in Jerusalem <clears throat> felt about this matter? And I will tell you, I certainly can. I, I certainly can understand that. I mean, these <clears throat> brethren had, had seen Paul, Saul, take their friends never to see them again. And they no doubt had vivid memories of Saul of Tarsus at the stoning of Stephen, saying in essence, hey, let me hold your coat so you can wind up and get a better throw here. And so they had seen that. Their memories of that no doubt were strong. And so they are afraid of him. And they will not allow him to become a part of their fellowship. Just a quick side note here, if I may. We don't ever mention this. We don't talk about this. But have you ever noticed in Acts 9 that there is no censure of the church for not accepting Saul? The Holy Spirit doesn't say, and by the way, <clears throat> these brethren should have accepted him immediately. He doesn't say that. I mean, these people were acting on the best information they had just, just exactly like today. Have you ever thought about it, ladies and gentlemen? Just exactly like 2,000 years later, shepherds who are charged with protecting the flock have to be careful about, about some who would want to come among the flock. There is a reason why the Bible talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. It's, there's a reason why shepherds have to protect the flock. It's why, for example, some individuals may never be invited to stand in your pulpit because your shepherds have to protect the flock. It may be why some individuals, when they want to be a part of this church family, where the shepherds may have to say, you know what, we're going to have to talk a little more about that. We're going to have to come to better understanding about, about some things here. There's no censure of the church in Jerusalem for what they did here. Can you understand how they felt? Now here's the other question. Can you imagine how Paul felt? And that's the other side of that equation. And we need to try to sympathize with that as well. Because <clears throat> here is Saul, and Saul has got to be thinking to himself, look, I have turned to Christ, I have turned away from my past, away from Judaism, my old friends and comrades are trying to kill me, I have forfeited the honor of being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and now my new brothers and sisters will not have me. Can you understand how he felt? I think certainly we can on both sides of that equation. But of course, that's not the end of the story. <clears throat> because in the next verse, verse 27, Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord <clears throat> who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, and they, they were seeking to kill him. But I want you to notice in the story that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas declared what had happened, and Barnabas stood by his side. 
the word encouragement, the etymology of the word, <clears throat> the, the prefix of the, the word is para, P-A-R-A. For example, parallel lines, lines that run side by side. And in essence, with this encouragement, what Barnabas did was he came and he stood by Paul's side. And understand that when Barnabas does that, he is no doubt <clears throat> making himself vulnerable. Don't you know that Barnabas was criticized for that? Don't you know that there were Christians who, who, who just who were saying, Barnabas, have you, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy here? Do you know who this man is and what he has done? But what's interesting is that Barnabas uses his credibility to get some credibility for Saul. I think that Barnabas believed what Paul would later write when he said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the old is come. I'll tell you the great lesson there, ladies and gentlemen, is, listen to me carefully now, people can change. Don't miss that in this story. Saul of Tarsus became the apostle Paul. People can change. A bad person can become a good person. A dishonest person can become an honest person. A liar can become a truthful person. A faithless person can become a faithful person. You can almost hear, if you just read between the lines, you can almost, <clears throat> almost hear the voice of Barnabas saying, look, to the brethren, look, give him a chance. Give him a chance. The Bible, you know, what did Jesus say? By their fruits you shall know them. And so soon enough, soon enough, we'll know whether or not he's sincere. But let's go ahead and give him a chance now. Don't miss this, ladies and gentlemen. The church owes Paul to the courage of Barnabas to encourage a man with a bad history. People who visit our services, people who are converted from the world to the Lord, need, need to know that they matter to God and they matter to us. One little side note here, if I may, just, just real quickly. <clears throat> I try to imagine how Saul felt in that and how the brethren felt in that. But there's another story about, about Paul later in life. He comes to Corinth. When he comes to Corinth later on in his ministries, he's discouraged. In fact, he says, we despaired, <clears throat> we despaired even of life. And so this is another time when Paul, the great apostle, who has experienced so much, is now <clears throat> weary and, and discouraged. He talks about the, the arrival of Titus and his entourage, and he says, they, they refreshed our spirit. How grateful we are for that. But I've thought about that a little bit. Here is, here is the Apostle Paul who becomes like Barnabas and an encourager. Paul who would, who would lift up brethren, help brethren, encourage brethren in so many different ways. And yet, and yet in Acts chapter 18 at Corinth, he despairs even of life. He is weary in his courage. And here's what I want you to think about with that, ladies and gentlemen. I think it begs this question, who encourages the encourager? Who encourages the encourager? I think sometimes we feel like that those individuals who, <clears throat> they're, it's just kind of instinctive within them, just indigenous to their personality, that, that they're just kind of an encouraging person, that they're an upbeat, encouraging kind of person. We kind of feel like they're always okay. But I want to ask you, who encourages them? Who encourages them? So here's what I'd like for you to do this morning. I, I'd like to ask you, when you think about, in, in your church family, 
<clears throat> when you think about, all right, who is it in our church family that in my mind is a Barnabas? They're an encourager. I want you to identify in your mind that person. And we've all got those people in our churches. And I want to encourage you to do something tangible to encourage them. You see, we just always assume that encouragers are always okay. That they never get down, that they never get discouraged, that they never have any <clears throat> issues that they deal with. But they do. And so I want to encourage you to encourage the encouragers among, among you. Barnabas encouraged new converts with bad histories. Third, Barnabas encouraged congregations with bold, <clears throat> with bold vision. And this was a, an amazing thing that he did. We're not going to take long with this. But I, I will just point you to, to this passage in Acts chapter 11. Look at what it says. Acts 11 verse 22 beginning. The report of these good things came to the elders <clears throat> to the years of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when Barnabas came to Antioch and he saw the grace of God, that is the great things that God was doing there, he was glad and he encouraged them, exhorted them, encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He did this because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, there is so much... There is so much in those three little verses that we could that we could unpack. Let me just mention a couple of things <clears throat> really, really quickly here. I want you to notice that when Barnabas came to Antioch, he was glad. He was glad about what he saw and he encouraged them. He was glad. He rejoiced in what he saw. He saw that good things were coming from what this congregation was doing. He saw that they were trying to sound the message everywhere that they could. And as a result of that, good things were happening in the kingdom of God. And notice that, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to say, Barnabas, when he saw that, was glad. Why would the Holy Spirit emphasize that? I mean, wouldn't you just be axiomatic that if you saw good things happening, you'd be glad? No. Why not? Because you and I, again, if, if, if you got any years on you, We've all met individuals. We've all met individuals who tend to look at things and only see the negative. There are just some folks like that, aren't there? We've all met people like that. Brother L.A. Mott passed away just not very long ago. You may not have known Brother Mott, but he wrote a, he wrote a series of little booklets <clears throat> entitled Thinking Through. And then he would have the name of a book, Thinking Through Philippians, Thinking Through Colossians. And in, in one of the books, he, he made this observation, quote, Brother Mott said, quote, some people could go to the superest of Super Bowls, played for the championship of a thousand worlds, see a perfectly played game, decided on the last second on a brilliantly executed play, and come away talking about how bad the hot dogs were. And you've met people like that. I've met people like that. And Barnabas could have been like that. Barnabas could have come to Antioch and he could have seen the multitudes and he could have said, well, you know what, this is nice. But it seems to me like maybe you should have baptized more people. Or, you know, the teaching program that you kind of enacted here to try to get these folks schooled, I think it's lacking in a lot of different ways. Or he could have said, you know what, all these people make it really hard to find a place to sit on Sunday. He could have, he could have found something to complain about if he wanted. Because we've all met people who can find something to complain about. But ladies and gentlemen, Satan attacks our churches enough. He doesn't need our help. And so the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to say that when Barnabas saw these good things, he was glad. 
And then the Holy Spirit says, by the way, let me tell you. Let me tell you why he was at this disposition. And he says three things. Number one, he says <clears throat> he, he did this because Barnabas was a good man. You know, we undervalue some words. The word good is so common that we tend to undervalue what it's trying to imply. He was a good man. It doesn't say that he was rich beyond comprehension, that he was superior in intellect, that he was a talented order. It doesn't say that he had a commanding presence before an audience. It doesn't say that he was a renowned scholar. It just says that he was a good man, that his character was rooted in goodliness and uh, goodness and godliness, and he was an amiable man and kind and caring. I mean, again, good is such a simple adjective that we kind of undervalue it. But how many times have you heard, have you heard somebody that you've known in life, and you've heard, you've gotten the word that they've passed away, that they have died. And how many times have you instinctively said, oh, they were such a good person. And we know what we mean by that. You're such a good person. We mean that this is just who they were through and through, that if you could bore a hole through them, all you would find is goodness. And so he was a good man. And he says he was full of the Holy Spirit. His life was influenced by the Holy Spirit. Barnabas may well have had miraculous abilities from the Holy Spirit. I I don't know the answer to that for sure. But but maybe there's more to that characteristic than even that. Maybe it's saying that that Barnabas lived a virtuous life that is is produced by by just listening to what the the Spirit says and, and to the direction that the Spirit gives. You know, Sunday morning we began by talking a little bit out of, remember we talked out of Galatians 5, where you've got those three phrases where Paul says, look, you need to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. And we, and we looked at a passage like Psalm 119, beginning 105, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You know, that kind of direction that seemed to be the, the guiding light of Barnabas' life, it's, it's available to us as well. And so, He was full of the Holy Spirit. And then third, the text says that he was full of faith. That faith possessed him. He was full of faith. Fully convinced of the promises of God. He wasn't a drifting doubter. But he was securely anchored, it seems, in the confidence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, think about it this way. Show me a Christian. I mean, show me a Christian that can be described as being good. And led by the Spirit's word to mean full of faith. And I'll show you a Christian who's an encourager. I'll show you a Christian who has no interest whatsoever in criticizing and complaining and grumbling and griping. As somebody once well said, those who row the boat, they have very little interest in rocking the boat. That was Barnabas. And then one more, one more time that he pops up in Scripture for our consideration. And this is perhaps the most famous of the times that we read about him. Barnabas encouraged repentant Christians with, with second chances. And you know, again, you're a good Bible student, you know that we're going to Acts chapter 15. And I want to pop this on the screen, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you to read this with me, if you will, and then we'll say just, just a word about it, and we'll be finished this morning. Here's the text in Acts 15. So this is after the first missionary journey, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had drawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement 
so that Paul and Barnabas separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus. Let's think about that for just a minute. This is a very familiar story. Everybody has heard the story of Paul and Barnabas going their separate ways. And the dividing point being John Mark. It's important to understand about this division between these two great men, Paul and Barnabas, that this was certainly not a doctrinal matter, that this was, in fact, a difference of opinion. This was a difference of opinion between these two men. To their credit, and don't miss this, to their credit, neither Paul or Barnabas let this distract them from their work in teaching the gospel. And that's a point I think that is often overlooked and yet needs to be made at the very beginning. That while in fact they will go their separate ways, it doesn't mean that either one of them relinquished the mission that they had to preach the gospel. The other thing that we need to be really honest about here is that there is no kind way to put this. There is no soft way to put this. John Mark blew it. I mean, he just blew it. As a missionary apprentice on the first missionary journey, his first effort was a failure. And you can't mitigate that. I mean, when you read the story, when you read the account, he goes with them from Antioch to Seleucia to Cyprus to Pamphylia, and then he goes home to Mama. And we don't know why. We're not told. It does say that Paul says he did not go with them to the work. And so I think you can read between the lines there and say that that in Antioch, Seleucia, Cyprus, and Pamphylia, everything had probably been pretty smooth and easy, but it was about to get difficult. And so maybe when, it, when the going was about to get really tough, he decided to go home. And so Paul says, we're not taking him. We're just, we're just not going to take him with us. Barnabas was insistent about that. And Paul was insistent. So here's my question for you. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? You know, maybe they were both right. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe they were both right. From Paul's vantage point, <clears throat> from Paul's vantage point, they needed people who could, they, they could count on in tough times, who, who in times of persecution were going to stand right there. To use the words of Abraham Lincoln, people who were willing to give the last full measure of devotion. If it cost them their lives for the gospel, they're willing to stand in there and take that. And in Paul's mind, John Mark had not matured to the point as yet where he could be given that kind of responsibility again. So that was Paul's perspective. From Barnabas's vantage point, John Mark was a diamond in the rough. I mean, Barnabas saw potential in John Mark. And, and from his vantage point, look, all he needs is a little more maturity. He needs some mentoring, he needs some maturing, he needs some people to count on him and give him some guidance. And maybe that's exactly right. You know, we forget sometimes, listen to me, we forget sometimes that young people are young people. And sometimes we're amazed when young people act like young people. And we shouldn't be shocked by that. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. I, uh, through, the, through the years, you know, I've had multiple interns. We've had <clears throat> preacher training programs almost everywhere that I've been. I've had multiple interns. And I, I sometimes have to remind myself, they're just kids. Uh, we, just, we just finished with an intern at Temple Terrace. He's one of the finest interns I've ever had, by the way. He was outstanding. He's going to be an outstanding preacher. But there were times that I had to, I had to remind myself, hey, he's only 21 years old. 
And I'll tell you, when I was 21 years old, I made an awful lot of mistakes. And brethren had to be patient and kind with me because of that. And so, from Barnabas's perspective, look, he's, he's young. He just needs some maturing. He needs some polishing here. And so Barnabas was more than willing to give him a second chance. And he was such a people booster that he was not going to allow anybody, not even his friend Paul, to impede the opportunity to help John Mark develop. Don't miss this, ladies and gentlemen. One of the marks of a true and genuine encourager is to see the potential of what people can be and help them reach that. You know, there's an old illustration. You've probably heard it a thousand times. An old illustration of Michelangelo when he was uh, standing before a piece of granite and uh, he's about to chip away. Michelangelo always considered himself a sculptor, much more than a painter. And so he was standing in front of a piece, <clears throat> piece of, of granite, and, and somebody asked him, he said, what, what are you doing? And remember the story? He said, I am, I'm releasing the angel that is imprisoned in this stone. And Barnabas was like that. He understood that people mature at different rates, and he was willing to try to help release the good person that John Mark could be. And the fact of the matter is that John Mark did grow, and he did mature, and he did become someone who could be trusted. In fact, at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, when he knows that his days are numbered, Paul writes to his young protege Timothy, and he says, by the way, get Mark and bring him with you. Look at that. He is very useful to me in ministry. And so Barnabas was right about John Mark. He just needed to mature. He needed to be polished. He needed some mentoring. And he gave that to him to the point. And notice that Paul is willing to acknowledge that about him. I mean, Paul is willing to say, look, yes, I, you know, he's, this, this is who he is now. This thing is driving me crazy. There you go. <clears throat> and so Paul is willing to acknowledge that. Well, let me ask you, where do you suppose that John Mark learned to be very useful in ministry? Well, he learned that from Barnabas. And think about this also. It is Mark who wrote that wonderful gospel that presents Jesus as a man of action and power. And then think about the Apostle Paul and all that he wrote. Have you ever thought about, ladies and gentlemen, how different our New Testaments would have been without Barnabas making the effort to encourage Saul of Tarsus and John Mark? One quick side note here. You know, what we learn from Acts 15 is that sometimes brethren will disagree. But that doesn't have to be the beginning of World War III. There is nothing in this text. There is nothing in this text to indicate that, <clears throat> that, that Paul and Barnabas came to blows. There's nothing to indicate that they raised their voice with each other, or made threats, or took, took to social media to question each other's character. There's no indication here that they wrote texts or emails or letters uh, complaining that they didn't get their way. And there's nothing to indicate that they used their position or their past to bully the other. There's no indication that Paul played the apostle card and just said, Barnabas, I'm an apostle, listen to me. Yeah, no indication of that. And no indication that Barnabas, that Barnabas reminded Paul that, look, I stood up for you in Jerusalem when nobody else will. You wouldn't even be here today if it weren't for me. He, he doesn't, they don't, either one of them do that. They do, go, they, do go both, they, they do both go their separate ways. 
But it's impossible to imagine that they spent their time bad-mouthing each other to anybody who would listen. They continued to preach. Neither one of them quit. Neither one of them gave up. And at the end of the day, the kingdom of God grew and was strengthened because, have you ever thought about this? There were four workers now, not just two. Is there anything, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to learn more in 2022 than how to disagree without being disagreeable? Let me end with this this morning. I think if you could sit down with Barnabas and say, Barnabas, you know, the apostles gave you this, this nickname, you're the son of encouragement, and we see you in these various circumstances. What motivated you to do all that? What motivated you to be that way? I think Barnabas might say two things. Number one, I encourage because people matter to God. I encourage because people matter to God. And we must catch that spirit, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's not just being an, an optimist. It's believing in the worth and the dignity of every human being and believing that they are made in the image of God. And then secondly, I think that Barnabas would say, I encourage because God matters to me. And what God wants me to do matters to me. And so Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Be complete. Look at this. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. You don't get to opt out of that. You don't get to say, well, you know what, Don? I'm just not a very encouraging person. It's not, not my nature. Just not, it's just not who I am. I'm sorry. You don't get to opt out of that. That's a command of God. And so you've got to find a way. Even if it's not indigenous to you, if it's not within your nature got to find a way to be an encouragement to others here's how paul phrased that a second time therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing that's a command that's a command of god listen i know i know people are sometimes hard to love people are sometimes hard to love sometimes folks aren't friendly or they're not kind or they're moody you've got to have motivation you've got to have a motivation to encourage people like that and the motivation is that God loved and encouraged us when we were like that, right? God commended his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Barnabas lived like he lived because he served who he served. And so again, I'm not aware that he wrote any scripture. We don't have any of his recorded sermons. But every time he's on the page in the book of Acts, he's touching lives by his encouragement and making a difference for good. And those people whom he touched, they have touched us through the gospel all these years later. Now before we stop this morning, could I just ask you a very simple question that I think probably comes naturally from, from, from what we've looked at. Just a simple question. And you know what this is going to be, don't you? If your brethren, if your brethren were to give you a nickname based on your attitude and your life and your service, what would it be? If your brethren were to look at you, who know you, know you well, and they were going to give you a nickname based on your life and your attitude and your service, what would it be? I mean, would it be something positive, like, like encourager, just like, just like Barnabas, or some other wonderful name that represents a great trait or would it be something more negative than that i think we would all love we'd love to be remembered to be remembered like barnabas what are you going to do with your life i was talking with a friend of mine not long ago 
And uh, I'd, I'd had a birthday. I had, I turned 65 this year. And uh, I know you all thought I was much older than that. I know. I, <clears throat> I, look, I mean, I look like I've worn out multiple bodies, don't I? Just, uh, but I turned 65 this year. And a good friend of mine, we were talking about that, and a good friend of mine said, look, let's suppose, I, I've always enjoyed wonderful health. I've just always have had excellent health. And so a friend of mine said, look, if you live 20 more years and God gives you good health for 20 more years, what would you like to accomplish in those next 20 years of your life? Now, I've got to tell you, for me, the easy answer to that is, is to say, I want to grow up and be Leon Golf." That's what I want to do. I want to grow up and just be Leon. I could end my life and, and be pretty happy if I could accomplish what this man's accomplished in his life. But I thought about that, and I thought, how, how, would, I like, how would I like to be remembered? Have you ever thought about that? And here's what I wrote down. I'd like to be remembered as someone who refreshed the spirit of others made a difference for good in the lives of others. I'd like to be remembered as someone who stood in the corner and by the side of young preachers always. I'd like to be remembered as someone who helped the hurting find their way out of their own personal Gethsemane. I'd like to be someone who helped the weary pick up a sword and fight another day. And I'd like to be someone who taught the gospel in such a way that it helped people know Jesus better and make their way to heaven. But the more I've thought about those things, I've thought about the fact that that's probably what all of us want, isn't it? We'd all want to do those things. And one of the great things that we learn about Barnabas is that we can make a choice about that. Barnabas made a choice to be the man that he was. And we can all do that as well. How do you want to be remembered? You make that a reality, just like Barnabas did. Thank you all for listening so well. Let's pray together. We'll be dismissed today. Our good Father, we're so grateful for the fact that you have preserved through time the biographies of men like James, Jesus' brother, and Paul, and Philemon, and Onesimus, and Barnabas, and so many others who made a difference for good. And we pray, Holy God, that we will imbibe of their spirit, even as we realize that we must be our own men and women, and we must forge our own path and make our own way. But we pray that we will learn from them, and learn from them, obviously, what pleases you, what you would have us be and do. And we ask you, dear God, to help us to that end. Thank you for letting us be together today and through these mornings. Thank you for those who are here. Thank you for blessing our lives by getting to know each other. And we pray that today, Father, you would help us to make a difference for good as we honor you in every step that we take and every relationship that we maintain. Help us, Father, to reflect the image of your Son. And help us, Father, to deport ourselves in such a way that one day, one day, we can hear you say, Well done. You are a good, faithful servant. We pray to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.